for reading our passage this morning. We are glad that you're here. As I look out over the number of us who are here today, it reminds me of back when I began really working with the church here at Olive Branch. We had maybe a hundred. Matter of fact, we didn't even have a hundred on some Sundays. And so, somewhat reminiscent of those days, and I'm not sure how many we have this morning. I would say ballpark, what, 150 maybe? But uh, anyway, we are almost halfway back to where we were by way of attendance, but hopefully and prayerfully it will pick up as time goes on. We're going to be looking at the book of 1 John in our study today, 1 John, And I want to call attention to several passages of Scripture in this book. And the theme that we're going to be discussing in our study today, security in times of insecurity. I know that many of you probably have felt somewhat insecure over the last couple of months. There are a lot of people that still feel a sense of insecurity, not knowing what lies ahead. And really when you think about when you think about life and when you think about the future, there are no guarantees, there are no certainties. As a matter of fact, if there is any certainty, it is that we live in a world of uncertainty. And so how then can we, as God's people, enjoy a sense of security? in times of insecurity. Many of us probably remember the day when we didn't have to worry about locking our front door, didn't have to worry about locking our automobiles, didn't have to worry about having a lot of things by way of security. Well, times have changed, haven't they? And so we feel much more secure with our locks and bolts and alarm systems and fences, etc., The real question is, how can we as God's people, how can we feel secure in an insecure world? Is there some sense of certainty that we can put our trust in? I think the answer to that is yes. I think even though we live in a world of insecurity, and as I said a moment ago, the only certainty is the uncertainties of life. But I want you to know that there are some certainties that we have that are recorded for us in Scripture. When John wrote the book of 1 John, what you need to understand is he was writing to Christians in the latter part of the first century, and the intent was to secure their faith in Christ, to make them feel secure amidst their insecurities. And so what I want us to do is look at some passages in this great book. And think about how, as God's people, we have security no matter what. Now, I want to remind you of a passage found in the book of Hebrews. In chapter 13, verse 8, you remember the Hebrew writer said, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and yes, forever. When we talk about the Lord, and I think about God the Father, Jesus Christ the Son, the Holy Spirit, they are unchanging. 
God Himself said on one occasion, I, the Lord, do not change. And you remember the words of the psalmist in Psalm 89, when the psalmist said, Forever, O Lord, Your Word is settled in heaven. In other words, God's Word provides us with a blanket of security, doesn't it? God's Word is not subject to alteration, to change, but rather it is the same. And so the same truths that were recorded in the first century, applicable to Christians, are applicable to us today. If the intent of John was to secure people in Christ in the first century, then the intent is to secure us in the 21st century. I want to begin by first of all saying that when it comes to our security level, this security blanket, if you please, first, we enjoy pardon from God. Now, you need to understand right off the bat, John is not writing to non-Christians. John is writing to people who have obeyed the gospel. Individuals that belong to the body of Christ, they are a part of the community of the saved. And so he's writing to ground and secure them in their faith. And look, I get it. It's very easy for us to feel insecure even when it comes to our salvation in Christ, when it comes to the relationship that we have with the Lord. So I want you to listen to what John says down in verse 7 of chapter 1. John said, But if we walk in the light, as He is in the light, He said, We have fellowship with one another. And the blood of His Son, Jesus Christ, cleanses us from all sin. What's John saying there? He's saying that as children of God, as people that belong to the body of Christ, who are in fellowship with the Lord, as we walk in harmony with the Word of God, that's really what it means to walk in the light. As we so walk in the light, then there is an abiding assurance. We sang a moment ago, blessed assurance. We're blessed because we have assurance, don't we? And so John said, as we walk in the light, as He is in the light, then we need to understand that we have fellowship with God, and furthermore, that we have the cleansing power of the blood of Jesus always at work in our lives. Now somebody might say, well, what about when I mess up? I mean, we are not perfect beings, are we? We are imperfect beings who are a part of a perfect church. There is a divine side, the perfect side, and there is the human side, which is the imperfect side. Well, on the one hand, God's church is perfectly designed, isn't it? But because we are human beings, we make up that imperfect element of the church, don't we? So is it possible that we might succumb to temptation? That we might stumble and fall, say or do something that maybe we're not proud of and that when reality sets in, we understand, you know what, we shouldn't have done that. So what's our remedy? What's our hope? Does that mean that what God's saying is, you know, on the one hand, as long as, as, long as you are perfect, you're saved, but when you mess up, you're lost. Is that what God's saying? No. In verse 8, listen to him, he said, but if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us 
from all unrighteousness. And so what John is saying is, look, when we stumble, when we fall short of what we know is right, we acknowledge it, we turn from it, and what's the assurance? God will forgive. Now drop down and look at chapter 2, verse 1. In verse 1, John said, My little children, these things I write to you, that you might not, that you might not sin. All right, That's the ideal, isn't it? You can read chapter 3 when you have the chance this week. And in chapter 3, what John really says, in effect, is that once we became children of God, that old way of life, how we used to conduct ourselves outside of Christ, that old way of life, our former conduct has been put to death. We're now a new person in Christ Jesus. And so we walk differently, we live differently, we act differently, we talk differently, we dress differently. Why? Because we belong to the body of Christ. And so John is saying in chapter 3 that that life of sin has been put to death. Listen to Paul. God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified unto me and I unto the world. Paul there is simply pointing out when he became a child of God, that old way of life, that way of life that he had once lived, gone, gone forever, died to the love and the practice of sin. So, God's ideal is we rise above sin, but we are imperfect people, aren't we? And so John said, if any man sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. John here, telling us that when we succumb to temptation, we're trying to live above sin, we're trying to live in a way that would be pleasing to God. We understand that's a divine ideal. However, when we stumble and fall, we need to understand there is an advocate in heaven. That advocate is identified as Jesus Christ, the righteous one. And He is literally standing before the bar of heaven. And He is pleading our case with the Father, isn't He? All right, so what then is the basis upon which we can enjoy, as John said, cleansing or forgiveness in verse 8 of chapter 1? Well, it's His blood, isn't it? Isn't that what He said? If we walk in the light, as He's in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of His Son, Jesus Christ, what does it do? Cleanses us from all sin. So i got a question. Does that mean that in Christ Jesus we are secure? There is a lot of difference in an individual who stumbles and falls, gets up, dusts himself or herself off, and says, you know what, I didn't do my best, I fell, I succumbed, I'm going to do better, acknowledges that, and moves forward. A lot of difference in that individual and somebody who stumbles and falls and says, you know what, who cares? Who's not interested in doing what's right? Who's not interested in acknowledging wrongdoing and saying, you know what, i got to do better. It's a tremendous difference, isn't there? It's called attitude. It's all about attitude. So first and foremost, to understand that we have security. Why? Because we have been pardoned by God. And listen, if you would, to what the Hebrew writer said. 
This is the covenant under which we live. I will be merciful to their unrighteousness. and Their sins and their iniquities I will remember no more. Do you remember David in the Psalms? When he said, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Whatever is in your past is literally in the past. What's a great thought, isn't it? There is a second thing I want to call attention to. And that has to do with our position in God. Once we become children of God, and we talk about our position in Christ. You remember in Colossians chapter 3, Paul said, If you've been raised up with Christ, and this idea of being raised up with Christ, who sits at the right hand of the throne of God, Our goal is to focus on spiritual things. But I want you to think for a minute about this exalted position that we enjoy. In chapter 3, in verse 1, John said, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called the children of God or the sons of God. So where are you going with this point? Once you become a child of God, once you become... Once you become a part of that divine family, you will always be a part of that divine family. That is the exalted position that we enjoy in Christ. Now you remember Paul in Romans chapter 8? In verse 17, Paul said that we are heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. We enjoy what we, what we would call a lofty position, don't we? We belong to the family of God. Nobody can take that from us, can they? Once a family member, always a family member. Now, there are a lot of folks in the world today, they have this idea that once they become a child of God, if perchance they were to succumb to temptation, maybe even fall away, they have this mistaken idea or notion that they're no longer a part of God's family. That's not the case. You remember in Luke 15 when the prodigal son went out into that far country and wasted his substance with riotous living? You think the father quit loving him? You think the father said, you know what, I'm done with him, I don't care about him, he's no longer a part of our family anymore. You think, that's, you think that was his attitude? Now, I want you to connect something with this idea. And it has to do with God's passion for us. We need to know something about God. John said in 1 John 4, verse 8, listen to him, God is love. God said concerning the children of Israel, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Will there ever be a point in time in life when God says, you know what, I don't love you anymore. I don't care about you anymore. I'm done with you. Is that how God treats His family? Look, you might leave the Lord. You might even bring shame and reproach upon the body of Christ, but God will never, ever quit loving you. You will never, ever not be a part of God's family. 
Now, you might be estranged from that family. You might have walked away from that family, but I can assure you, God is there. And listen, listen, God is willing to take you back, isn't He? When you come back to the body of Christ, I think about people that have fallen away and come back. When they come back, they're not coming back as a quote-unquote second-rate citizen. They're not coming back as the black sheep of the family. And you know what? You need to sit over here while the family member sits over here. That's not how God deals with people. John said God has bestowed His love on us. We enjoy an exalted position. We are a part of the body of Christ. And God has showered His love upon us. His love for us is non-negotiable. It is unchanging. All right, so how then did God demonstrate His love for us? When Jesus came to earth and died on behalf of man, did Jesus come and die for perfect people? I had a girl tell me one time, and this is a girl that grew up in the church, attended a good congregation. Her sister, however, at that point in time was not faithful. I'm not sure if she's faithful today. But she, sh she said that she asked her sister, do you think God loves you? To my surprise, her response was no. Why? Because I'm not living right. If that's the case, then God does not care about the human family at all. But that's not what the Bible says, does it? Do you remember what Paul said in Ephesians 2? But God, who is rich in mercy for the great love wherewith He has loved us. Listen to him. Even when we were dead in sins, has made us alive together with Christ. By grace are you saved. I need the Lord because I am an imperfect person. In Christ, I can be complete. In Christ, I enjoy pardon from God. And why is that? Because His cleansing blood is always working day and night in my life. In Christ, I have a position. I'm a part of the king's family, just as you are. You remember when Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus? And as he talked to some of those people who had come out of pagan backgrounds, he said, you're no longer strangers and foreigners, but rather fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. When Paul wrote to Timothy in 1 Timothy 3.15, he talked about the household of God, the pillar and ground of the truth. We are a part of the community of the saved. And as members of the body of Christ, that will never change. So, this great love that God... Now, God's love for us is not going to change. Our love for God might change, but His love for us, it will not change. The goal, the hope is that we would grow in love for Him. John would say in verse 19, chapter 4, we love Him. Why? Because He first loved us. So we talk about our security in Christ Jesus and the fact that in Christ we're secure. We are secure because God has pardoned us. We are secure because God has positioned us. He has positioned us in the family of God. 
Peter talks about how we are living stones being built up a spiritual house. We all have our place in the body. It's a beautiful position, isn't it? And then we talk about God's passion for us. That passion is unending. Now, let me just say this before I move on. Don't misunderstand me. God will always love us. He may not necessarily love what we do, but He will always love us. His door is always open. As a child of God, if we choose to leave Him to abort the faith, we can always come back. That's the beauty of Christianity. God is standing there with open arms. You remember the prodigal son? I, just, I can just see that probably dirty, ragtag son coming home. And as the father sees him in the distance, what does the Bible say? It says he ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. What does that say about God's love for us? And that welcome home. Man, I'm glad you're back. I've known people that have left the Lord. I have, as you have, known people who were unfaithful to the cause of Christ, some of whom have done some despicable things. But when they said, I want to come home, let me tell you what, God was there with open arms. And we ought to be the same. We shouldn't be like the elder brother who looked down his nose at the, at the prodigal when he came home. There's another thought I would share with you. It has to do with the promises of God. Now, the passage read a moment ago, 1 John chapter 5, verses 11 through 13. John said, listen to him if you would. Pick up with me in verse 11, chapter 5. This is the testimony, this is the record. That God has given us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. Now, it'd be difficult to misunderstand that, wouldn't it? But look at verse 13. John said, These things I have written to you. What things? The things that he's just been talking about in the previous four chapters. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. Now this word belief here would be a generic word. It would encompass the idea of people who have obeyed the gospel. They are a part of the family of God. They are members of the body of Christ. They're members of the church. He said, look, I've written these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. All right, John, why then are you writing? Give me the reason you're writing. Listen to him that you may know, K-N-O-W, that you may know that you have eternal life. Now you remember back in chapter 2, verse 3, John said, by this we know that we know Him. All right, John, how do we know that we know Him? How do we know whether or not we have a relationship with God? How do we know that His blood is constantly working in our lives? By this we know that we know Him if we keep His commandments. John's saying, look, if you're living the life of a Christian and you're giving your best, and sometimes maybe, you're, maybe sometimes you feel like you've been whipped day in and day out, but you're trying, 
and you're living the best you can, you're acknowledging your faults, your shortcomings, you need to understand something. You are secure in Christ Jesus. Your security is based upon the blood of Jesus, isn't it? So as a child of God, John said, look, I've written these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you might know that you have eternal life. You mean to tell me that I can know that I'm a child of God, that I can know that I'm saved? It would be, it would be a tough life, wouldn't it? To say, you know what, I'm a child of God. And today you feel like you're saved. The next day you feel like you're lost. Then the next day you feel saved. The next day you feel lost. That'd be a miserable existence, wouldn't it? Who wants to live like that? I don't want to live. Do you want to live like that? I know there are some people and they are good hearted. I would never impugn their motives. There are some folks, they have this idea that they just can't say with certainty that they're saved. They feel as if they would be boasting or arrogant. If someone were to ask them, do you know that you have eternal life? They'd say, well, I hope I do. I think I do. I feel like I do. Is that how God wants us to live? Now we talk about security in times of insecurity. There are some things that are insecure about life. I get it. We talk about risk versus reward. There are a lot of risk and there are a lot of rewards in life. But there are some things when it comes to our security. On the divine side of things, let me tell you what, those things are not negotiable. Those things are not, they're not subject to change or alteration. And John is saying, as a child of God, you can live in such a way so that you know that you know that you know that you're saved. When Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, the time somewhere in, in the 50s, John said, or rather not John, but rather Paul said, for we know, K-N-O-W, same word. For we know that if this earthly house, this tabernacle be dissolved, we have a building of God. Is that confidence? Yes, it is. Is it arrogance? No. Can we not lay claim to the promises of God? You know, if God says something in His Word, and God says, you know what, this is what I'll do, this is what I promise you, can we claim those promises? Yes or no? We can, can't we? So if we can claim them, if there's nothing wrong with claim, claiming those promises, why then are we reluctant to do so? Doesn't the Bible say, that we live in hope of life eternal, which God, who cannot lie, promised before the world began. God's not lying when He says, you can know that you have eternal life. God is not lying when He says, you know what, I'll forgive your sins. God isn't lying when He says, you know what, I've showered my love upon you, and you have the opportunity to be a part of my very special body. Those things are guaranteed, aren't they? And listen, with regard to with regard to life and death. I know that folks don't like to talk about death. And we would just as soon talk about something more positive and palatable. I get that. A lot, lot more desirable to talk about life and good times in life than talk about death. But let me tell you, death's a reality. 
And whether we like it or not, we're all marching toward the cemetery. Now that may sound gloom and doom, but it's true, isn't it? So as we make that march toward the cemetery, do you mean to tell me that God wants us to live with fear, uncertainty, insecurity? You look at the life of Paul. I mentioned him in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And you remember when he wrote his last letter to Timothy in about A.D. 68. He said, look, the time of my departure is at hand. I'm already being offered. He said, I've fought a good fight. I've kept the faith. I've finished the race. In light of that, he said, there is a crown of righteousness waiting on me. No wavering. No wondering. Paul wrote years earlier. And here's John saying, you know what? You know you're a child of God. So we think about coming to the end of life. Let's just say that we're in the closing hours of life here on planet Earth. Our friends and family members have come to see us for the last time. We've said goodbye to people that we love. When we leave this world, do we, do we want to leave with this hope so, think so, maybe so attitude, or do we want to be like Paul? Do we want to be like John? John said, look, I've written these things so that you might know that you, that is, as a child of God, you have eternal life. And that you might continue to believe in the name of the Son of God, that you might keep on keeping on. We have security. And let me tell you what, when the dust clears, and it's going to clear one day, when the dust clears, there are some things that we have that secure us in life. Nobody can take them from us. We're special people. We have been blessed above the rest, haven't we? Why? Because we're in Christ. So, do we live in times of insecurity? Yes, we do. Does God want us to feel insecure in our spiritual relationship to Him? Not at all. And so, my hope is today that we will feel good about who we are and about whose we are, and that we would feel good about where we're headed. To enjoy the victory. What was it John said, 1 John chapter 5, this is the victory that overcomes the world. What was that key to overcoming the world? Do you remember? Even our faith. Tough times call for greater faith. So what I want to encourage us to do is to dig deep. To make sure that we understand just how secure we are in Christ. I have no control over what comes to pass in the world. There are a lot of things that are going on in the world today that, I mean, the world in which we live is moving at a rapid pace. But in Christ... Everything can slow down and we can 
experience the peace that passes all understanding. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, I would encourage you to come to Christ. I would encourage you to put your faith and trust in Jesus as the Son of God. He's the only way. He's the only truth. Jesus said, He is the one through whom we have access to the Father. If you believe Jesus to be the Son of God and you'd be willing to repent of your sins, confess His name before others, and then be buried with Him in baptism, the assurance is God will forgive your sins. No matter what sin might be in your life, God will forgive you. And then He'll add you to the church. And the assurance is that if you're faithful until death, He'll give you that crown of life. If you're here today, let's just say you've been living that prodigal life, and you've been out in that far country for a long time, and you feel like God's abandoned you, that He doesn't care about you, I assure you God still loves you. And I assure you God still wants you to be a part of His faithful family. And He will take you back. No matter what your baggage is, He will take you back. When you turn from that old way of life, you remember Jesus said, I tell you, except you repent, you'll all likewise perish. That's the hard part. But God will forgive. If you need to respond today, we encourage you to do so as we stand and sing.